The Athletic. Sancho, room to shoot, finds the goal. Jake Sancho fires Manchester United ahead. Fernandez playing it forward here for Rashford, who's 1v1 against Dyer for now. Longley's got back to help. Rashford, 2-0. Toro, they've got a goal back. Kane's plays it on the way through. The equaliser. Kane to Son. How many times have you seen them do it? This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Coming up on the pod, we're going to reflect on the draw at Spurs, throwing away that two-goal lead, but at least Manchester United finally have a point away against the team somewhere near the top of the Premier League. We'll also preview the match against Villa, which is next up on Sunday. Plus, later on in the show, we have a very special interview with the United keeper, Mary Earps, as the women's side hunt down a double of the WSL and FA Cup. That's if we're allowed to mention the D word, obviously. Uh, Now the T words are... A long forgotten thing. The T word tonight, of course, is Tottenham, and that's exactly where Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten have been watching the match. Carl Anker is also with us. Ah, I got told off, actually, um, by one of our listeners saying that I need to cheer up on these podcasts. <laughs> and I thought I was going to be nice and breezy tonight at half time. Laurie, what on earth went wrong in that second half? Well, if you listen to Ericsson Hag, he was saying things were going wrong in the first half as well. I see his um, point in a way, yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was a bit chaotic, wasn't it? I suppose like it, it felt like United were the dominant team and were able to cut through Tottenham when they put their minds to it. But there was also I suppose indications that Tottenham had a bit of a sting in them. Um, you know, Harry Kane was was looking kind of threatening, and they had a big chance to perhaps make it one-one just before United went up the other end. So Senag was was wasn't too happy with the first half performance, even though they, you know United were the better team. You know, and then and he, he said he was making subs in advance of, of the, the score going 2-2 he, he, he thought that they needed more control and, and more energy from the likes of Fred but the substitutions didn't work did they and Spurs just got men in the box like they hadn't done in the first half and, and overwhelmed United really um, I mean, yeah, a 2-2 at the end of it Tanag said I'd take that before the game so thanks very much but from being 2-0 up and also that, that chance for Fernandez at 2-1 when he, when he hits the bar that, that could have killed the comeback really but Credit to Spurs, I suppose, for, for responding. I don't know if Ryan Mason just said at half-time, lads, it's United. And, you know, uh, the, the fact that they don't seem to respond well to adversity during games. But, yeah, really deflating uh, night in the end. Yeah, it was a bit. Uh, Andy, I saw your tweet half comparing it to the Sevilla 2-2. But whereas the Sevilla 2-2 felt unexpected and a bit of a random ending to that game, this wasn't that, was it? This actually felt like a, a more considered change in the match. And in some ways... I know Bruno Fernandes missed that great chance to make it 3-1, but Spurs missed their own great chances, didn't they? I mean, it could have been worse for United. In the end, actually, a point's not too bad in the in the wider context. It's not. I said that on the last podcast. I said Manchester United needed to avoid defeat against a, a direct rival for the top four. Although Spurs have been dropping that many points, you're starting to look more at Liverpool and Aston Villa yeah. as being a main threat for, for the top four. It's not a bad result given how poor Manchester United are against teams in the top half of the, of the, of the league table. Given how poor Manchester United have been away from home after the World Cup, United have not won one of 
any of the 13 away games after the World Cup where one of the other teams has scored a goal. So as soon as Spurs score, you're like, something bad's going to happen here. Uh, half time, and I did. I disagree with Tenag. I thought the first half was really good. I know Spurs had chances, but it was a very open game. I thought it was very entertaining. If you're a neutral, which we're not, I think you'd find the whole night entertaining. It was a really good game of football. But there's probably disappointment in our voices for a reason. When your team's leading 2 0 and draws, then it's clearly disappointing. And my tweet was because it's the second time in two weeks that it's happened. It happened against Sevilla, totally different circumstances. But the scoreline's the same and it's happened again here. I've just waited in the mix zone for the United players to come through. None of them did come through. Three Tottenham players came through and I sort of stood back and listened to Harry Kane explaining that Ryan Mason's doing well and that he motivated them at half-time. Spurs had all the energy in the second half. Manchester United looked as listless as Spurs did in the first half. United's movement in the first half was fantastic. I thought there was... But the goals were really good. Marcus Rashford looked dangerous. Jaden Sancho took, took his chance well. Aaron Wambasakan was good going forward. But the, the substitutions, as Laurie talked about, it just didn't work. It just didn't work at all. And by the end, I think Spurs were probably the more likely, although United had very good chances as well. Yeah, they did. I mean, you just listed a few of the players that impressed you there for Manchester United. I think the majority of them were taken off in that second half, Carl, weren't they? I I could see why he felt the need to change things, given the way that the game was going. But the players he did change, the tactical shifts that he did make, were they the correct ones? I mean, in hindsight, it's easy to say no, but in game watching it, what do you think? Yeah, Harry Hindsight's probably looking very clever right now. Uh, if you have to apologise for being upset, I have to apologise because I've not done back-to-back. I'm calling it. United are going to win. Uh, and they didn't. Didn't beat Sevilla away from home and they didn't beat Spurs. These these should be straightforward games for this United team, but they just keep letting games get too frantic. I can understand why Eric Ten Hag wanted to bring on Fred because Fred was a good substitution for Christian Eriksen in the FA Cup semi-final. This is what happens, right? Eriksen gets tired around about 65 minutes and the other team goes through midfield and you bring on Fred to, to snap into some ankles. But this was this was bad Fred. Uh, more than one talk of devil's listener tell me this um, and he just kept losing the ball Casemiro continues to look rusty after missing seven games through he actually does doesn't he uh, that's becoming more of an issue that match by match isn't I, it it's rustiness or reluctance to get another yellow card after he's got two red cards but he's not stopping counter-attacks the way he no. did at the start of the season it could just be general tightness um, Malassia came on and Malassia at the start of the season his position was wrong but he was tenacious enough to try and fix those mistakes whereas in this game his positioning was wrong and anything that was played above shoulder height wasn't great uh, Marshall didn't do anything Vekos tried a lot but it's all sizzle no stake so to speak and it's that thing of the Manchester United first team is top four quality and when they're all in their game top four quality but you take out two or three important cogs or two or three members of that spine and you've got a real real problem now yeah the good thing about tonight was that they in attack they looked like they could score goals again um, and against Brighton they didn't really look like that for, for large parts of that 120 minutes Marcus Rashford especially in that first half lorry looked extremely sharp took his goal really well could have scored more are you two getting a warning to be thrown out here you're in a smooth talk come on you Andy we'll, we'll, we'll go in fire <laughs> 
So uh, Andy and Laurie are actually in the Tottenham press room. Uh, they were supposed to be thrown out at 11pm, but I think Eric Ten Hag gave them a stay of execution by turning up late to his press conference. <laughs> and we're going to stretch it even further. Laurie, I was talking about Marcus Rashford. He looked so sharp mm. again. He'd, look, he'd looked a little rusty as well, actually, since he came back from injury and needed a bit of time to get up to speed. But the positive was that he looked on it again, didn't he? Jaden Sancho as well. I'm not sure why he was the choice to go off, really. Yeah, I am kind of scratching my head a, a little bit at why those those were you know, Ericsson as well, Sancho. I know that Ericsson can sort of fade in games, but I just thought he was controlling things pretty well. Um, and Sancho as well. I thought Sancho had a lot of pop in his game. Like He had more purpose about him. That, that's the kind of player that United thought they were signing you know, for 73 million from Borussia Dortmund. Someone who got on the ball and did things with purpose and, and drive, uh, not someone who's kind of looked a bit uncertain at times in his United career. Um, they thought the goal that he, he scored was really well taken, he was obviously unlucky not to score another one as well. Um, and, and Rashford as well, you know, sort of two times through on the left, you know, uh, strong finishes saved by Forster's legs and then the third one he got absolutely right, didn't he? I mean, he just ghosted past Eric Dyer like he wasn't there. Um, and I think that is the the, the warming thing, I suppose, from a United point of view, that yeah, that, that front four actually was really clicking. I think even Anthony was kind of doing work. Bruno was good as well, wasn't he? I thought Bruno was really good. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's played, you know, he's come back from that injury that you sort of thought, okay, is that going to be him um, out what of the injury? team for a little bit? Well, exactly. I I, <laughs> I thought this. I know we had we had did we have different interpretations of it, Carl? Like I sort of saw when his his wife posted on Instagram. Him with his boot, I sort of thought was it like a, a protective ice pack or something, and then the crutches were in the side. But because she'd sort of said recharging and she'd posted it publicly, I sort of thought there's no way that that's going to be a genuine admission <laughs> of an actual injury. Surely, like they're not, you know, unless she's just decided I need to, you know, increase my followers with a bit of exclusive content. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I sort of thought that was that was just a bit of like a bit of playfulness, and and you know, we won't, won't reveal exactly what Eric Ten Hag said because I think they're embargoed these quotes. Um, but he was he was you know fulsome in his praise of Bruno for, for coming back and, and, and playing the way that he did and yeah he, he should have scored that goal but he, in the first yes. instance he, he, he nutmegs the guy to go through one-on-one -on -one anyway and he was at the heart of everything that United did well you know passes out to Rashford and, and just a little link in playing and he tried you know at the end he stayed for quite a long time actually applauding the fans and I know we sort of talk about this a fair bit but I have asked fans that have been in the away section does does it mean much to you like does. Does, does it does it matter and they, they tell me yeah like they tell me it yeah does. it really does so I think that's an important aspect to it and they, they did you know they look gutted at the end you know United's players so at least there's, there's that but the worrying thing is that Ten Hag said and, and we can certainly question him and the substitutions that he made to your first point Ian but he also said that he felt that some of the players you know were playing at 90% and yeah, they're not robots and, and it's a, a demanding schedule, but to, to, to sort of not play at 100% to think to sort of save something in the in reserve, I just think that's that's poor, you know, when you when you play for Manchester United. And you, you, this could have been, if they'd won here tonight, this could have been top four locked in uh, and instead it's still a little bit uncertain. Yeah, the position's still okay, isn't it? In terms of that, I mean, Tottenham are fifth, uh, six points behind, but they've played two games more. Aston Villa... We'll preview that game against them at the weekend. That looks important now, clearly, given Villa's form. They're still six points behind in sixth, having played two games more as well. Liverpool are looming a little bit, but they're still seven points behind, having played a game more. So, Andy, there's not there's not much to worry about, is there, despite, obviously, the next two games against Villa and Brighton looking tough, tricky, whatever you want to call them? Well, before tonight, United had got the wins which were needed in the league because everyone was despondent after that defeat at Newcastle so it's for Manchester United to lose now 
I think they're tired. I don't think they'll say it publicly, but they're tired. The players are tired. It's not a message that Eric Ten Hag will say because he doesn't want his players to think we're allowed to say that we're tired. But well, if they you are tell tired. them they're tired, they will be tired, tired. as well. They're, they're, yeah. they're, I'm, I'm absolutely certain. That You're not tired, they're, are you? They're tired. I'm You're up for it. I am waxed, mate. Wax. Okay. <laughs> and he's tired. Could he tell them that they're T-I-R-E-D? Because that's what <laughs> yeah. my, my parents used to use with me just oh, okay. so I didn't work out that they were calling me tired. I'm not tired. What do you mean, you tired? <laughs> could you not spell tired at that age? Not as a toddler, mate. No, unless you're a genius as well. I don't think you'd be able to. Would I you? wouldn't put child genius past you. <laughs> Prodigious. Uh, no. Sorry, Andy, I yeah, interrupted they you. Are. They, they are. I think it'll be limping through to the end of the season. Maybe a bonus with a player coming back and the prospects on the horizon of an FA Cup final against Manchester City, which at this moment looks pretty daunting, but I think United have done well to, well to get there and the mood may change, that's still quite a long uh, time away, but they are tired and the fans are tired. I came down on a coach from Manchester today, it took six hours, six hours. Can't be doing that. If you want us to be positive, right, because you did say at the start we're a bit too negative, the music on, I was going to say Tottenham's jukebox, but it's clearly not a jukebox, it's, it's a public address system. They played some right good, tunes it? tonight. It was good, Red really. Hot Chili Peppers, Arctic Monkeys. Falls, I was singing along. I was, Stone I was Roses. in my seat. Everything was a tune, like yeah. tune after tune after tune. <laughs> At half time, they put the Stone Roses Fool's Gold on, and I thought, is someone extracting the urine here by playing down, <laughs> down, 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 down? You had both sets of fans complaining about the owners, protests from both sets yeah, of fans. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, about the owners. The mood really turned in the first half when Tottenham went 2 0 down. And it's just disappointing. You're right about, about Rashford, about Sancho. I thought when Fernandez turned the year before having a shot halfway through the first half, that was a, a beautiful moment. I don't think Bruno deserved to be in a side which lost the game. I was really frustrated right at the end when Manchester United had a corner. You knew there was going to be like 30 seconds left and started messing around. And then the referee blew his whistle. What on earth are you doing? <laughs> Even worse than that was Fred's corner before that. Oh, oh was shocking. That, that was like Phil Jones days, wasn't it? it? Yeah, that was like yeah. Wayne Rooney, uh, Harry Kane on corners yeah. for England. Yeah, what was, what and, was going on there? And being negative, I thought Anthony Martial didn't, didn't have um, a good night. Fred, I think he was at about like 70, 75% wasn't he, when he yeah. came on. He just looked like... Okay, I'm having a walk in a park here. Yeah. And Malassia, Low power mode. Malassia, as you say, was, was a significant downgrade on well, Aaron Wan-Bissaka well, tonight, well, in well, my Mal opinion. Malassia, that, that positioning yeah. for the equaliser, yeah. what was he doing? I, I mean, that's, that's a De Gea long kick, yeah. it's one, one header, and all of a sudden Harry Kane's through on the right. With, with that, I mean, he loves that position, Kane. I mean, he yep. puts those crosses in all the time. And Son finally at the back post. He nearly missed this one as well, Son, because he missed one earlier, hadn't he? Yeah. And then also you've got Fred not jumping in the six-yard box to a header... Was it Longley that yeah. put it, or, or Dyer that put it wide, sorry? Um, Clement Longley. Just so many like poor <laughs> positional things like that. But I have, I've got one question, Andy. One. Six hours on a coach, yeah. how many of your stories can you get through in that time? Two? Three? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I wish I'd energy to respond with a two-hour story, mate. I was getting stories from people on the coach for an athletic article. Uh -huh. People who've been going on that coach for a long time. and Have they got more stories than you? They've got some absolute belters, mate. Oof. They got back from Arsenal this season at five o'clock in the morning. The coach hit a bollard and they had to change the tyre. <laughs> so, yeah, I got some decent stories and they're, they're good people. But six hours, you're sort of thinking you can get a trade in two hours, 20 minutes. <laughs> Admittedly, not right to the stadium. 
Uh, okay. But you know, six hours. I only came up to Manchester yesterday, so. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because we were we were having some chats before the game, weren't we? And it transpired that you know there's not many hotels in near the stadium that yeah. suit a, a club like United. So I think Bournemouth were very lucky they they got here just before kickoff because they had to you know stay somewhere else and and got a coach and, and just arrived in time. United were just sort of on the button for getting into the stadium. So it's they, they you know this perception that is that a bit of a competitive advantage for Tottenham. Well, I think it's a, a pretty interesting point actually. This stage. Stadium's brilliant, Ian. Yeah, it's, it's an absolutely fantastic um, venue. It's a spaceship, isn't it? And and mm. when Spurs got going in the second half, it was it was really loud. Honestly, if you if you came here as a neutral tonight, I think you'd walk away thinking that was a hell of a game. Mm. We're going to try and extend this now because we're going to try and we're going to be thrown out. I'm just going to make some hand signals to the guy. <laughs> Keep on asking those questions, mate. Well, while he does that, Carl. He said he wasn't going to be too negative. Did anyone just pick up on Andy saying Bruno Fernandes deserved to be on a team that lost? I, I, I get that. I get that Tottenham could easily argue that they they should have won, but I thought Bruno did some lovely balls. I tell you what, another thing we should mention: Luke Shaw's ball to Casemiro near the end when he had that header. Oh, Chelsea won it. It was like Chelsea. It was like all Chelsea over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. without the goal. Yeah. But Bruno makes things happen. And I know he can drive people mad as well, but I was glad when he was, was starting tonight. I, I did think Shaw, just as on, on, when you mentioned him, as a centre-back, his, his reading of the game is really good. And I know they came under pressure yeah. second half and you know he was probably lucky to avoid giving away a free kick on Kane. Lindelof was lucky not to be sent off for, for a second mm. booking and his first one was on Kane. He was, wasn't he? So, Very lucky. But I think Tenag was actually overall pleased in the circumstances with that defence because it was really that they were getting too much pressure applied to them. I mean, Wan-Bissaka should have come out to the cross, shouldn't he, when Pedro Porro puts it in but I mean Wan-Bissaka just allows Perisic to come in and, and, and cross the ball which I think is what Tanag was getting at by he wanted more sort of front foot defending from his defenders but I think overall given it's a patched up defence there, there was some nice moment I mean because that could well be the defence for you know the rest of the season really Harry Maguire out uh, I believe it's a chest uh, problem that he's got I don't think it's too serious but you know it's obviously enough to keep him out for tonight how long it's going to keep him out for we don't know This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You have to go, you yeah, two. Yeah, we've got to go. Nice one. We'll just walk out. We'll, we'll, we'll just we'll walk, walk outside. Out. We'll carry on doing it. Okay, well, this is this is a, a, a new thing. Uh, is this because we walked down Wembley Way doing a podcast? Just make sure it doesn't rain because you, <laughs> yeah, uh, you might end up there. losing. Well, it's been chucking it down. Uh, that's the only thing about the, the stadium, this fabulous new stadium, that the, the press box, uh, I don't know, the roof isn't quite over. Yeah, enough, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. the rain comes on, you, on your Mac and everything, so you've got to be careful. Oh, We've got to try and walk. Yeah, we, we, can, we, can walk we, can, we can walk and talk. Right, we can oh, yeah, walk and talk. We can walk and talk. Right, me and Andy, because I've not put the AirPods in without cables so me and him have got to stay close to each other which Andy's loving obviously he's <laughs> getting a nice yourself. he's getting a nice waft of my brute my brute my, my, my jupe actually it's not a jupe really That's hi karate mate listen you're coming at this from a weak point given that you posted yourself on the internet with underpants on last week <laughs> although I did see Erlinda Arlen's copier today well there we go see trendsetter but he, didn't, he won't wear any four pound duds he's got better hair than me as well 
Thank you. Well, uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum keep chundering onto themselves walking out of the stadium, Carl. Um, what about Harry Kane's audition to be a Manchester United player? How do you think that worked? <laughs> That's a good question. Now, more than one United fan mentioned this to me today. Is this Kane's audition? I say first half, lights were a bit too bright. Second half, you probably probably auditioned a little bit too hard there, wasn't it? I think yeah. last 20 minutes in particular, you were saying, okay, Kane, that's enough. You've proved your point. Eric Tanard probably likes you for a reason. It's enough. Um, no, he was he was excellent. Uh, and this was a Spurs team that, that started that second half really well. And United couldn't really respond, which is concerning. You know, I keep saying it, the difference between a good United performance and a bad United performance is how they press and how they react to the press. And United's counter-press and how they react to losing that ball was not good in that second half, which just allowed Kane to pick up those pockets that Laurie said where he's so dangerous on that right-hand side. Metropolitan Police have just turned up here to, to have a word with Laurie for crimes against underwear. He's all right, <laughs> mate. He's a good lad. There were, were four quid. He didn't mean it. <laughs> all right, Gov. Right. Sorry, where were we? That's all right. Did, did you two spot these these supposed talks that Rio Ferdinand was trying to stir up on on English television that uh, the um, the powers that be at United should have been speaking to Daniel Levy um, at the game tonight to get a transfer for Harry Kane sorted? Uh, I don't suppose you saw that take place. No, well, we didn't. No. But I I just spoke to the Spurs journalists and said, where do you think Harry Kane will be next season? And three of them said Manchester United. Really? And then they looked at me and went, what do you think? Smiled. And, and I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is, is pretty obvious that Manchester United's priority is to sign a number nine in the summer and that the club have the view that there are not many of them about. Mm. And I've had a chat tonight with, with people at the club about that. So. It was funny when the fans started saying, we'll see you in June. Mm. I yeah. mean, I was kind of like, are they buying him tickets to the FA Cup final? Um, or I mean, I if, loved how accurate that champ was because normally we'd you'd, you'd say see you in May, but yeah. they're like, oh no, our season yeah. actually finishes on the third of June, so we need to just uh, alter that well, chance I mean, slightly. But they're also being very optimistic when you compare it to previous transfer windows that United have got involved. Yeah, because when have they ever signed a player in June? Yeah, I think the, the one yeah, year we'll that see they did. We'll see very early September. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the one year they did early June, the two of them didn't work out. They signed Bastian Feinsteiger and Morgan Schneiderlin. You know, oh, to get it done early. No. And and so there is no exact science to this, is there? With no. Players Happy anyway. days. Happy memories. Yeah. <laughs> right then, let's preview Aston Villa quickly before you two get accosted by the Met Police as well as being thrown I, out. I've done nothing wrong, mate. I, I, so you say? Yeah. Tell that to the jury. <laughs> Andy, bail me out, yeah. I'll help you out. Stories mate. on the Manchester coach. Stay on the Manchester coach. No, don't be in the athletic, Carl. <laughs> I've got some absolute yeah. belters. Well, unfortunately, it's only a dress rehearsal for Wembley as well as the, if the train strikes or anything to oh, go yes, by. Yeah, so yeah. you well, might be having more stories about that. Well, that, that was a serious topic of conversation because the train strikes mean that people will have to go by road. There aren't physically enough coaches in the north of England to serve all the football fans who, who want to come down there. The city of Manchester, obviously, United fans will be taking the coaches and all the coaches from Stockport will be used for City fans. But boom. <laughs> yeah, Bullocks will be busy, won't they? Um, right, I did say Aston Villa, didn't I, Carl? So let's uh, let's talk about Villa. Can be a really difficult game, this, actually, isn't it? And Ten Hag was moaning a little bit about United's schedule after the game. Andy said that they're tired. This is a real test, isn't it? And you don't want any of these sort of lingering back of the mind concerns about the top four to progress their way any further to the front of your head, do you? No. And this is an Aston Villa team that's already beaten Manchester United 
in pretty convincing fashion before the World Cup, albeit okay. That was a game where Cristiano Ronaldo was captain and Donny van der Beek was playing at number 10. Ronaldo's last game, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, last meaningful impact in the Manchester United shirt, we'll say. This is Unai Emery's got them playing really, really good football. Jacob Ramsey is now making a late charge for that third midfielder sport in England team. They they play with a really good settled possession and they've got really nice uh, rotations down the left hand side. How they attack down the left wing is really interesting. How they suck in uh, your fullbacks and then before you know it, they've pinged it behind in space. When you consider the fact that United's fullbacks probably you know Wan Bissaka is probably United's best fullback at the moment because Luke Shaw's playing yeah. at centre back, which you know. If your memory, you're probably going, oh, here we go. Here's how we can exploit the space behind Malaysia or Dala. So, mildly concerning. But also, again, United did beat Aston Villa the week afterwards in the League Cup. So, I'm not going to call it because the last time I called it, I got it wrong. Andy, what have you been looking up? Your face <laughs> has been illuminated. Right. So, <laughs> L- L- Laurie can vouch for me. You know, you always got on my case for having like mad links to different clubs. So, mm-hmm. last summer... I got invited to um, a soccer school in Spain and the other guest was a goalkeeper coach who works with Unai Emery. So there's me and him, he's got to tell them how to become professional athletes and I've got to tell them how to deal with the media if they ever become professional athletes. And then this guy, he goes everywhere with Unai Emery. So I, I would watch him go around and go to Villarreal and Laurie can see that I'm not blagging here. So good morning, he says to me, we are now at A Villa best regards so I've kept in touch with him so Christmas Eve he sent that he sent that on Christmas Eve that's how much he must buzz off me to send that (laughs) so he's now the man in charge of coaching Aston Villa's goalkeeper who's very good it's Emi Martinez isn't it yeah so he's my man so I've just got to work out how I can unsettle him before the game at the weekend (laughs) just just tell him Bruno's injured I could have him right over corner yeah tell him Martinez has made him rack his recovery Lisandro Martinez yeah uh, what else can we throw his I way? could just say between us Javi I'd be gutted if he listens to this <laughs> his name's I'd, Javi I'd be that's, a, real, that's a fake name real, that's a fake real, name real, 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 I, I wish I had given a fake name mate to be honest <laughs> between I'd, us United are trying free kicks from 80 yards yeah. so put all your energy into that in training on I'd, Friday I'd, you've, you've, just, you've just seen Marcus Rashford limp through the mix zone that no one walked through yeah yeah you could have him right <laughs> over couldn't you can, can, speaking can, of free kicks Oh. You have just reminded me of Emmy Martinez coming all the way from his li- off his line for one of the goals Aston Villa put past United in the reverse fixture of Villa Park. Emmy Martinez just stood behind Luca Dino and was just basically going left, right. De Gea can't see you. We owe Emmy Martinez more than one, you know. <laughs> we owe him big time for that penalty nonsense last season with Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes, yeah. which is yeah, well, well he, since he took into the World Cup, he? That was his uh, blueprint for the World Cup. Yeah. Can I say something really quickly on Andy's phone? So I've now had a window into Andy's phone. Here we go. Do you know how many WhatsApp messages he hasn't read? I can see it because it's got the number. I dread to think. Go on. Tell, I don't know. 304. What? So he's got, <laughs> who are these people that you just, you know, above respond? I've got like 10, 11 that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll get back to you at some point. Where does it say 304, 304 there? there? you go, 304. Well, most of them are from you. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're not. I've got two blue ticks next to mine once. You've read mine, love it. Mum's one of them, by the way, so yeah. there you go. She's she's me, on red. My mum my mum gives me match report. She's she's got really into football in the last couple of years. And it's like Brighton at the weekend. I feel really sorry for that lad, Solly March. And uh, I feel really conflicted over the FA Cup final. What, why? She said, I'm united, but two of my grandsons are City and I don't want them to be upset. 
Mother! Mother! <laughs> Let's see what she sends me tonight. She gets a lot of things right. She started using words. Right, oh yes. Fire it up, Reds. I've never heard her say that in my life. Rashford exclamation mark. The weather looks awful. Keep dry. That's the kind of thing my mum sends me. Well, actually, mum, I was just about to walk under the cover into the rain. <laughs> Great first off, not so good in the second. We've got at least one point. Stay safe. Never mind, tomorrow's another day. <laughs> Amen to that. Tomorrow is another day, and we'll have another podcast after Aston Villa, which I'm sure Andy and Laurie will feature on. But for the moment, gentlemen, get yourselves home. You've got a long way to go. We're on the Tottenham High Road, mate. Uh, do you know where you're going from here? No, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Do you want to go clubbing? Life's an adventure. Life's an adventure. I've got, I feel like my battery's on like 3%, but you you could say, let's go. Is the Ministry of Stown still open? Carl would know. <laughs> when I walked through a train station with Carl, he knew everyone last month down here. <laughs> Carl, message your mates, mate. Let's get it going. Yep, we'll do. <laughs> See you later, fellas. Have you heard me? See, See you guys. later. Thanks for listening. Well, as those two get themselves off, we didn't actually have a chance to reflect on Adam Crafton's piece on Harry Maguire and where things have gone wrong for him. That's up on The Athletic at the moment. Also, Laurie's piece about David De Gea's kicking, which actually was vastly improved tonight, it seemed, at Tottenham, considering the problems have been with that recently. They're both on The Athletic now. If you're not a subscriber, remember you can sign up now. $1.99 a month is the price for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right, well, as promised at the start of the podcast, we've got something a little bit different for you now. We're going to be speaking about Mary Earps because the women's side, who intriguingly also face Aston Villa next, are flying at the top of the league. They've also got the FA Cup final against Chelsea to look forward to just days before a potentially decisive Manchester derby for Mark Skinner's side. Their success this season has been built on a solid defence. Here's a little stat for you. Keeper Mary Earps has kept 12 clean sheets and that's just one off the WSL record and Carl has been speaking to her. Haven't you, Carl? Yes, I have. She was a fantastic conversationist. Myself and Charlotte Harper had a chat with her about the nuts and bolts of goalkeeping, what's made Manchester United so special, uh, the development of goalkeeping in the women's game and also why she is a vocal goalkeeper. If anyone's... Uh, had the honour of going to Lee Sports Village this season, you might have heard her cajole her back four uh, with commands that are Dean Henderson-esque. I think if you're, you know, you're from that region, you might yell at people. <laughs> uh, yes, and she also seems to be a fan of uh, a bizarre dance. Um, more on that a little bit later on. But here is Mary and Carl and Charlotte in conversation. Ruger Marnham is in a ton of space here. Black Stennis in the middle. Maybe they count as a shot on target from Arsenal's top scorer. And it's one that's pretty comfortable for Mary Earps. Safe hands here from England's number one. Congratulations on your victories over Arsenal and over Brighton. How have those games been for you? Yeah, not too bad. Obviously, just kind of ugly, but we're in the results-driven business. And at this point of the season, it's just important to get wins and points on the board. Unfortunately, that's what we've we've managed to do. So now we've got Obviously, a good run in elite games coming up, business end. And then we've also got an FA Cup final to look forward to as well. How's the vibe in the dressing room? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. I think it's just focused. You know, I think we've not really spent too much time talking about 
how things are going or we're just really focused on what the next game brings. It's been quite a heavy fixture period the last few weeks, especially for the international players. So now we've got a couple of extra days preparation for Villa, which is good. Hopefully that gives us a little bit of time to to rest and recover. And yeah, then we can go all guns blazing for, for the rest of the games. Mary, you've got a huge month ahead of you. You know, team have never won anything, but you could win the double, could win one trophy, could secure Champions League qualification, or you could have none of the above. How do you compute that in your head? I don't. I just play football. That's kind of my job. And I just think about what comes up in the next game, really, because you can't control what happens. Football is very much an all or nothing game. Many of the players in the, in the dressing room at United, you know, we've we've done much of that before. So so nothing really changes from that point of view. I'm a big believer in focusing on your preparation and getting your preparation right, and that'll leave you in in good stead. And 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 then you just kind of take everything in in your stride, really, and, and go from there. And and that's all you can do. We were joking earlier that as you were talking, you sort of bobbed your head. And I <clears> noticed you had your FIFA Best Award behind you. Congratulations on that. Thank you. One thing that's often talked about is the development of goalkeeping in the women's game. Mm-hmm. As someone who's now regarded as one of the best goalkeepers in the women's game, how have you made of the development of that position in particular in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think obviously it's, it's great to kind of hear people talking about it in more of a positive way because that wasn't the case for a very long period of time. And I also feel like a little bit of it was, I mean, unfair and unjust in the sense that it was, it was a lot contextual, right? In terms of, you know, people are talking about now, well, Naturally, it was going to happen because people are more professional. There's more goalkeeper coaches in the game. So it was always going to be a natural progression. But I think that it, there's been a lot of hard work over the years from many people before me, the generation that I'm in, the generations after me to, to get goalkeeping to, to this point. But I feel like a lot of the criticisms of female goalkeeping wasn't just you know exclusive to females. I feel like goalkeeping in general, irrelevant of gender, is, is a heavily criticised position. But I think that people jumped on the female goalkeeping bandwagon maybe a little bit more because it was more underdeveloped as an entity, naturally. It's kind of had a natural progression and I think that it's really nice for it to be spoken about in a more positive way and people to to not just go on about maybe the the shortcomings and and look at more of the positive things and 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 to be a part of that is obviously a fantastic feeling and and hopefully I can continue to be a part of that for a long time because I'm really really passionate about goalkeeping and I and I want to continue to pave the way for future generations not just in terms of women's football as a whole but like as a goalkeeper as a female goalkeeper you know to be able to win the the, the award in February was just I mean knocked my socks off a bit to be fair not something I ever expected but to be able to sort of have a bigger voice in 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 the in the community is something that I'm trying to do and trying to use it for good and and try and just better the future for 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 young goalkeepers and future goalkeepers really. You referenced Ian Wilcock and uh, Dan Ward in your speech as well. Mm-hmm. Your goalkeeping coaches, how have they helped you improve? I know Dan was saying that you turn up every day and give a hundred percent, but what have they helped you with? It's it's hard to say specifics. For me, I really enjoy working on like the tiny, tiny things because I'm a big believer in the whole like one percent a thing, right? The one percents add up, or the zero point one percents, or the zero point not 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 one percents. Like they all add up and they shape you to become who you are and to just deliver your best performance. So really, it's just been a lot of tweaking. You learn like your biggest learnings are probably in your 
younger years, especially technically, because that's where your technique is shaped. When you get a little bit older, you're not really making drastic changes to your technique because not you are who you are. It's just more like that's what's got you to that point. And everybody has such a individual way of doing things that most of the time it's not textbook. So to then try and apply a textbook to it isn't really relevant. You see it in the Premier League, you see it in the Super League. Like every single goalkeeper will have a different way of doing it, but it's got them to that point and they've probably had some sort of success with it for them to play in the top league. To change that would then take years and would probably create more damage than good. Would you take your best years of football away from them? It's just, so it's not really about changing drastic things, I think is the point. Like if you were building a goalkeeper from scratch, from like a book of like, what is the right thing to do? I guarantee you in five years time, the book will have been thrown out and look it would look totally different, right? So that for me is like the best thing about goalkeeping. It's so unique. You look at one person, you think, oh my God, like, how did they do that? Like, that's incredible. You try and do it and you think, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to work for me. That is just not, not me. So yeah, basically to answer your question, a lot of hard work, a lot of resilience, a lot of tweaking, a lot of tiny, tiny, minute changes, which hopefully add up and in a compound interest kind of way. That's kind of how I like to look at it. Mark Skinner's talked a lot about your mental resilience in particular. So after the Brighton game, there was a conversation about the first Brighton goal mm-hmm. and Skinner immediately turned the conversation into your save in the second half. You know, one thing we talk about, you know, positive things about goalkeeping is there's also a lot of scrutiny. Um, how do you deal with that scrutiny and how's your sort of, how do you put away one first half performance to make sure your second half performance is different? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm someone who lives by like super high standards and I didn't hear what, what Mark said. I hope they were nice things, but who knows? <laughs> um I'm sure there's there's people who had unpleasant things to say, but there's always going to be. Even when I do things, you know, 100% correctly, there's always someone telling me that I should have done it a different way or somebody else would have done it differently. Or that's just kind of the nature of the beast. It's the nature of goalkeeping. It's the nature of playing football. It's the nature of being in the public eye to a certain extent. Like there's always people commenting and telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing. But I think for me, I, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just thinking about the fact that we had a game to win and I just had to do everything to contribute to that. There's nothing I can do to change what's been and gone. We're all human and we do things that sometimes we wish we could have not done. And the frustrating thing about goalkeeping is it's usually something that, you know, 99 times out of 100 goes perfectly. And yeah, I think you, when you're in those positions, right, you have like two choices you can either be like sulky about it and get down about it and beat yourself up about it to the point where you can't perform and you can't deliver and the game then therefore is a is a complete waste of time because your your head and your heart's not in it or you can roll your sleeves up and go yeah that wasn't great but now i've got to roll my sleeves up and dig in and and, and do my job for the team i've got to show a bit of gumption a bit of resilience a bit of strength about me and I've got a lead because you know I'm also a big character you know in terms of helping the rest of the team so if I then dim what I'm doing that is going to have an impact on the rest of the team and that's not fair to the to the other to the rest of the squad the people who are on the bench who would kill to be on the pitch so I don't know I just feel like you you have two choices and then for me it just doesn't really become a choice like it happens that's life and I also feel a really big responsibility at the moment especially because of what happened in February with with the award is that you have to be able to show people what you're all about. Like that's, 
life isn't going to be perfect. Like, you know, there's that phrase, like, judge me on my losses, not my wins. And I never like conceding goals, but I have a choice how I handle myself after that. It's a choice, but then it's not really a choice. Yeah. yeah. Judge me on my losses, not about my wins. That's that's boxing talk. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I got that from. I feel like that's like a Michael Jordan quote or something. Yeah, Jordan used that. To be honest, he probably would never even, he would just probably not even answer that question. He'd probably just tell you to do one, right? What a guy. Uh, I, I want to talk one more about your uh, compound, that compound, that 1%. Uh, towards the end of the game against Arsenal, you had a small debate with a ball steward as you were trying to retrieve a ball in the dying <laughs> minutes. I don't recall this. What debate? <laughs> oh, just a small. Oh, relax a little bit. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's. I think playing at Lee means... Not enough Manchester United fans get to make that journey and watch you play True. in full flight. Agree. And while watching on television is nice, it's a bit like watching a cooking program on television. You can't quite get the smell or, or the tiny details. Nice. That's uh, such a great analogy, by the way. Really enjoyed that. And one thing that pops up about your play, when the TV cameras are focusing on the other penalty area, mm-hmm. you are stood very far outside your penalty area in a loud conversation with your centre-backs. Oh, is it loud? I can hear it. Oh, nice. <laughs> I hope I wasn't saying things things too inappropriate. No, 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 no. It was it was very much PG, but you know, it, okay. it's a lot of the defense. You know, Manchester United right now have Charlotte. How many clean sheets? Twelve. Twelve in the league. Mary knows it because uh, <laughs> she's one off the record of thirteen. We'll come on to that later. Anyway, carry on, Carl. <laughs> um, and they often talk about clean sheets being not just a goalkeeping game, but also your back four as well. And you're yeah. in constant debate with your with your back four. Constant debate. What makes that so important? Where did that come from in, from you? I feel like that came from a super young age, you know, like I've always been a bit of a communicator in the sense that like when I was younger, that was not something that anybody my age did because they felt really, really embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They were like... I, I just feel so embarrassed telling people what to do. Like, it's so loud. Like, I don't want people to look at me, like these types of things. And I, as a really young kid, my parents just encouraged me to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. They encouraged me to get into a, as many different activities as possible. Sports, musical instruments, any activity, brownies, whatever it was. I don't even know what other activities I got up to. There was just a long, long, long list. And one of those activities was dancing, which involved a modern jazz solo of Pop Goes the Weasel, which also involved some sort of singing number. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But once you do that, I don't know what age I was with a top hat at the at the Nottingham Dance Festival. There's not really too much which is more, I don't want to say embarrassing, but I wasn't a good dancer. Like, I was not a good dancer. It was a humbling experience to be a dancer. I did I did things that humbled me as well. Like, I was a really bad swimmer. Like, I did a swimming competition. I don't know where it was, somewhere in Nottingham. And I was part of Portland's swimming club. And I used to finish dead last, like dead, dead last. Like, the, I think I did butterfly once. And I was so far behind, like, you know, you get that slow clap. And me and my parents still laugh about that to this day. So it was just, yeah. When you then have to, like, tell your defender to go right or left shoulder, to me that just didn't feel like a big deal. So I think it started from a young age doing that. And then as you grow older, you you realise how important communication is in a team sport. 
And then over the years, it just became a really important part of my game because I saw it as a really big help to the team. If I can help the team be in better positions or encourage them in certain way, like you see how that can have an impact. You know, your defender makes a tackle or blocks a shot or your midfielder has more energy to do a big recovery run because you've encouraged them five minutes before and given them a big G up and things like that. So I think you just saw the the rewards of that and and I saw how it can have such a positive impact on the team and the results of the team. And then also managers really liked it. Coaches really liked it. Coaches really liked to, to I guess, get their information on through me or, yeah, try and help me to, to manage the game or to... It, it's all really just to help the team, I guess. You did secure another clean sheet against Arsenal. Yeah. You're on 12, the most yeah. you've ever had. Last year, Zinsberger won the Golden Glove with 13, the WSL record. So how determined are you to beat that this season? We'll have to see how it pans out. Obviously, I love keeping clean sheets. I don't know if you know, but I hate conceding goals. Like, I really hate it. So, yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to, yeah, to concede as, as least goals as possible, as I always do. But unfortunately, it's not always in my control. And we have a lot of other team goals going on as well at the moment, which... I would dare say are more important than 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 the clean sheets. So yeah, just su- just super focused on kind of our objectives and and really getting the best results we can to keep clean sheets would of course be nice. But we've got a, a tough running of games, um, and you've you've seen in the WSL how competitive it is and how hard it is to keep clean sheets. There's actually probably been a lot less this year than than maybe there has in previous years in terms of when you look at like maybe the the rest of the clubs, and and that just shows you how strong the league is. We'll we'll obviously do our best as a, as a squad as a defensive unit, but we'll we'll see where we end up. Before we close, do you have any message for the listeners, the Manchester United listeners to the podcast, and yeah, to any Manchester United fans out there? Thank you for your incredible support, as always. Never, never, never in doubt. Um, hopefully, we can continue to make you proud for the rest of the season and uh, deliver some incredible performances. And uh, we'll see where we are come come the end of May. Hopefully, with a lot to celebrate. Brilliant. Carl, Mary and the women's side must be absolutely buzzing with the weeks and matches that they've got ahead. You could hear that in her voice at times, couldn't you? Absolutely. You know, she's trying to keep a level head, but when you consider the summer or the next couple of weeks that could possibly come up for Mary and a lot of the other Lionesses, it's a really, really good uh, chance to to make your mark, right? They, to do things that no one's ever done in a Manchester United shirt for the women's team yet. Yeah do things that no one's done in an English shirt for women's team yet and Mary could be really key the FIFA best as we said <laughs> when we were teeing up that interview Carl thank you so much for your company on the podcast right to the very end unlike those two who got off early <laughs> after being chucked out of Tottenham Stadium I hope you enjoyed that listeners at home as well we'll be back after the match against Aston Villa as well let's hope we don't have to search for positivity in that podcast let's hope it's smacking us right bang in the face between the eyes but for the moment thank you for listening as i say and we'll see you on the next one bye bye Athletic.